couple of weeks ago, you may remember that we uh, took a break from our study on the Sermon of the Mount uh, at a, kind of an odd time with only one sermon left, but uh, I believe there were a couple of things that needed to be dealt with, and so that's what we've done. So I just want to remind us very quickly what Christ said as he was closing his thoughts or wrapping his thoughts up that day as he was speaking to the multitudes. He was talking about the person who builds their house upon the rock in comparison to the one who builds their house upon the sand. He said the one who builds the house upon the rock is compared to a wise man. The one who builds his house upon the sand is a foolish man. And he said both of these people can be compared to the one who hears the word of God and their reaction or their response to the word of God. He said the wise man is the one who hears it and does it. It is the foolish man who hears the word of God but does not do the words that have been spoken and does not perform them as they have been instructed. And as we talked about that three weeks ago, I tried to remind us that to build a house in any day, in any age, there's a lot of effort and a lot of attention that goes into that. And it would be foolish to put forth all that effort into something that was not going to last, something that was not going to be uh, stable, something that would not stand. And as you compare it with what was said and how the illustration was given, I tried to remind us how silly it is to make the effort to be faithful to the house of God if we're not going to use the word of God in our life in the way it was intended. And yet so many people, that's exactly what they do. They'll make the effort to be in the house of God. They'll make the effort to be at church every time the doors are open. And yet there's some kind of a disconnect between what is heard and then what is applied in their lives. And they go out and they continue to live however they choose to live and do whatever they choose to do. And really, that's foolish. If you have no intention, if you have no desire to obey the word of God and to exercise it in your life, you ought not even expose yourself to it because the scripture uh, does not speak well of the one who is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, okay? And so that is what we've talked about uh, in, in the previous message, and tonight we're going to continue uh, with this final uh, couple of verses. As we do, I, I'd like to uh, say something, and I don't know that you should admit this, but sometimes you deal with a passage, and I've, I've admitted this before, that's why I'm willing to admit it again. But sometimes you deal with a passage that is difficult, and sometimes you think, how is the best way to approach this, and uh, what is the, the best way to, to go about this? And so this week was uh, one of those weeks with this passage, what do you say, how do you approach it, how do you present it? And so at the end of the message, if you say, it seemed like he struggled, you're right, but that happens, okay? So we're going to get through this, and I trust it will be a help to us, but I want to begin by mentioning something that I know some of you can relate to. Uh, I think many of you can relate to. Isn't it amazing how fast time goes by? Amen. It is amazing. And, and I was thinking about it this week. 21 years ago, I showed up at college as a freshman at Bible college preparing for the ministry. And I knew absolutely nothing of what I was getting into by way of training and by way of education. I was simply going to the college that I went to based upon the recommendation of my pastor. I've mentioned that before. And as I was signing up for classes, I was reading words that I had never read before in my life. I did not know what bibliology was. I did not know what soteriology was. I did not know what anthropology was, homardiology, eschatology, hermeneutics, homiletics, and the list goes on and on. Those were words that were completely foreign to me, but they were saying things like this. Now, your freshman year, you need to take bibliology. In this class, you need to take anthropology, homardiology, and you need to take English. And, I mean, with every bit of it, I'm just saying, okay, whatever. 
and you know this from your time at school, whether you went just through high school or if you went on into college, uh, you know that not every instructor is, say, the most dynamic teacher or most dynamic instructor. And so there were a couple of instructors or professors that we had at Bible college, and I'm sure they were good people. I, I would like to assume the best of them and assume that they were good people, but when it came to being professors or instructors, they were almost unbearable to listen to. One of them had this very dry, monotone voice, and it was kind of nasal, and I wouldn't try to imitate it necessarily tonight, but, but just imagine a very monotone, nasal, kind of a pipsqueak kind of a voice, and he taught many of the theology classes that I had to sit through. And so it was, you know, sometimes three hours straight, different classes and different courses, but three hours straight of his voice of just monotone, nasal, being presented to us. And I grew to resent going to his classes. There were some others that I enjoyed a little bit more, but... Here are the ones that I enjoyed the most. The ones who were taught by the people who actually had the authority of the experience of what they were talking about. See, the one who had the nasal monotone voice, he was academic. He could tell you what the notes said. He could tell you what the book said. He could recite to you all the information as it related to that course, but past citing different people and maybe different authors and different statements of faith, past that, he'd just kind of look at you and shrug his shoulders because there was no pastoral experience for these pastors who were trying, or for these students who were trying to one day become pastors. And so, again, my favorite classes and my favorite professors were the ones who had actually done the ministry or the ones who were still involved in the ministry. And so there was a professor by the name of uh, Brother Lingo, and then there was another professor by the name of Brother Gray, uh, Gary Gray. He was a pastor there in the area, and they were my absolute most favorite professors because when they spoke, you knew that they knew what they were talking about. And if you were to ask them a random question that would have been ministry-related or pastoral-related, if you were to ask them a random question, they wouldn't just stand there and give you this shrug of the shoulders or this blank look like they weren't certain as to what you were talking about. They could actually carry on an authoritative conversation because they knew what they were talking about. If you've ever sat through classes, if you've ever sat through many classes at all, you know that there is a distinct difference between the one who is just giving you the information and the one who actually knows what they're talking about. Now, there's a point in all that, not that you care about what professors I enjoyed and which ones I didn't enjoy, but the point that I want us to think about this evening is this. Whenever you look in the scriptures, I know I touched on this this morning, but whenever you look in the scriptures, something we are aware of and something we are mindful of is this, is that there were many world religions, there were many philosophies, and there were many sets of beliefs. 
It's not as though Judaism was the only set of religious beliefs or religious thoughts during the days of Christ. We understand that, correct? Okay, so there would have been many different thoughts, many different philosophies, many different beliefs, or many differing opinions. But as you read through the scripture, here's what we are reminded of over and over again. As Christ dealt with the individuals, he did not deal with other doctrines or other beliefs or other religions. Over and over and over again, when he was not teaching himself, he was confronting the teachings of the primary group uh, or or the teachings of of the group that we know primarily as the Pharisees. You're you're aware of this, correct? Okay, And, and so Christ would speak to the Pharisees, and sometimes in the scripture you would hear things like this, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. That's what he likened them to. If he was talking about a scribe or a Pharisee, he never said scribe, Pharisee, man of God. He never said scribe, Pharisee, disciple of Christ. He never said anything positive about the scribes or the Pharisees. Everything Christ said about the scribes and the Pharisees was of a negative tone, was of a negative nature for this reason, because what the scribes and the Pharisees did is they took what God gave the Jews by way of the law and they began to ascribe their own teachings to God's law and they put their teachings on the same level by way of authority as God's word. And many times they would put their own teachings on a higher level or on a higher plane by way of authority over God's teachings. And so here are the scribes and the Pharisees whom Christ would identify as hypocrites. Here they are teaching things that they themselves would not adhere to in their own personal lives. They were teaching things that God never gave to the people of Israel by way of law. And so as these men taught and as these men would would declare supposedly what the word of God declared, they were many times just spouting off the opinion of man rather than the word of God. And it's said that the scribes and the Pharisees, in order to give their statements weight or to give their statements authority, that it was not uncommon for the scribes and the Pharisees to cite other people, you know, as a reference to try to give their words more authority. It would be like you and I today trying to quote someone to impress them, to impress someone else with the idea that so-and-so believes this as well. So you might say, well, you know, I was reading a book by John MacArthur, and John MacArthur said, now, that doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know anything about John MacArthur, but if you like John MacArthur, and I said, you know, John MacArthur writes in his book this, this, and this, then, then for the person who idolizes MacArthur, it'd be like, wow, MacArthur said that. Now, again, I know that that probably means nothing to most of you, but I'm saying that would be the idea, quoting people to try to give their words more authority in nature. That is how the scribes and the Pharisees operated, and that is how they functioned. So here is Christ, and in chapters 5, 6, and 7, he's gone through everything that he's gone through by way of instruction, by way of rebuke, by way of encouragement. We've spent the last several months looking at all this. And notice what it says in verse number 28. It says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. 
When Christ came to an end of his sayings, when Christ was wrapping everything up, when Christ was concluding his thoughts in this passage or in this occasion with these people who had assembled, it says the people were astonished or they were amazed or they were in awe of his doctrine. What does it mean to be astonished at his doctrine? It means this, to be astonished at his teachings or the, the beliefs that he was giving to the, uh, to the people that they needed to adhere to. Okay, so as they're sitting there listening on that day, as they're hearing him talk about whether it be tithing or whether it be fasting or how you ought to pray or, or whatever the subject was, as they stood there or sat there and listened to his doctrine or his teaching, they were astonished or they were amazed or they were in awe of what he had to say. For this reason, and many of us know this, in verse number 29, it says, For he taught them as one having authority. When Christ spoke, he had authority. See, when Christ spoke, he had authority, and I'm going to say more about this in just a couple of moments, but he had an authority that it says the scribes in verse 29 did not have. See, it says in verse number 29, they were astonished or they were amazed at his doctrine because he taught them as one having or possessing authority or power and not as the scribes or the religious leaders of their day. See, when the people on this day listened to Christ teach, it was as though they said, you know what, there is a distinct difference between the teaching of Christ and the teaching that we get maybe at the synagogue or at the temple or, or, or the, the religious gathering places. There is a vast difference between Christ and what he is saying and what we hear from our religious leaders on a regular basis. Now, I think some of us know the answer to this, but the question then would be this. What was the distinguishing factor between Christ and his speaking and the scribes and their speaking? The difference was this. Christ spoke the word of God. When Christ spoke, he was not just giving his opinion. When Christ spoke, he was not just putting forth his thoughts or his ideas. As Christ spoke, as you and I would believe tonight, that he was all man and all God at the same time, whenever Christ spoke, he was speaking the word of God. Christ had this authority that when the people heard him speak, there was no denying that Christ knew exactly what he was talking about. He was not just speaking something that he had heard. He is not just speaking something that was off the cuff or something that he thought sounded good. No, as Christ spoke, he spoke with authority. And see, here's what the scribes would do. The religious leaders among Judaizers in that day, what the scribes would do was this, is they would ignore the Word of God and they would put the Word of God that had been given to them in the Old Testament, they would push that to the back so that they might usurp the word of God with their own words and their own thoughts and their own opinions and their own beliefs. And though it may have been hard to realize that before Christ came, whenever Christ came, people could begin to understand Christ knows what he's talking about. And these people simply declare 
what somebody else has told them or what somebody else has instructed them in. Over here, you have man's opinion and man's thoughts and man's ideologies and man's beliefs. They sprinkle a little bit of religion in it. They sprinkle a little bit of law in it. They sprinkle a little bit of, uh, of God's Word in it. But, but they were able to discern after hearing the words of Christ, which spoke the words of God, there is something, something distinctly different between him and them. It was his authority, and the authority came from God's word through Christ. Now on that day as they began to leave and as they began to go back to their, their dwelling places, I don't know that they said to themselves, well, you know, the difference is, is Christ spoke God's word. I, I don't know that they had that discernment because it gives us no indication as to what their response was to the word of God. But as they left and as they went back to their homes and as they went back to their places of work and wherever their journey would take them, here is what they knew. There was something different. Christ and what he said, it was authority. The scribes just giving the textbook answers. This is what the law says. This is what former Pharisee says, this is what former elder says, this is what former, you know, instructor says, and there was no authority to their words and to their positions. Does this make sense? Christ had authority for the purpose or because of his stating the word of God. So here are Jews living in a religious system that at this point in history, it is so twisted, it is so distorted, it is so perverted from what the original law was and what the original religious system was supposed to look at. And everything is messed up. And Christ comes and he confronts and he says, You have heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. You have heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. And I say unto you, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I say unto you, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and destroy or, or steal. There was this vast difference in what they were hearing. Many of them, I would assume, for the very first time that this man does not speak like everyone else. Now tonight as we think about that, I, I want us to just give attention to something for a couple of moments. And, and you may sit here this evening and say, man, that sounds kind of familiar and it seems somewhat repetitive to this morning's message. And I understand that, okay? I, I do understand that. Please know that I did not intend that to be the case because I'm usually not that intelligent to make a theme come through from Sunday morning to Sunday night, okay? Nobody's questioning my intelligence, so I appreciate that. I want us to think about the society and the culture that we are living in. You and I are living in a society and a culture with a multitude of thoughts and opinions and beliefs and philosophies and doctrines. I mentioned before this morning, and I want to mention again tonight, because I, I want this to be clear in our minds and I want this to be clear in our hearts we live in a day where Christianity is not the standard operating 
basis anymore. Okay, so, so people have thoughts and people have opinions and people have beliefs and, and people have doctrines and people have philosophies. And, and there is a multitude of thoughts and positions out there swirling all around us. And, and whether we like this or not, Christianity and what we hold to, it's just one of many things that are swirling out there. We're, we're just one voice out of a multitude of voices. Now, I don't know, as I mentioned this this morning, and I, I don't know if, if some of you cringed or if some of you are like, eh, whatever. I don't know what your personal immediate response to it was, but I said something to the effect this morning that, that Christianity has lost its influence. And Christianity is becoming more and more irrelevant in the world that you and I are living in. People care less and less and less about the views and the beliefs and the opinions and the doctrines and the teachings of Christianity. And you know whose fault that is? It's the Christian's fault. It is the church's fault. At no point in, in our day can we look at what you and I would call the spiritual decline of our culture? We cannot blame government for this. We cannot blame our education system for this. We cannot blame any other entity or institution in our culture. For you and I who look at our society and say there has been a, sin, a significant spiritual decline in our culture you know whose fault that is? It's our fault. It is the church's fault. Because here's what has happened. On issues that you and I believe to be important from the position of Scripture, Christianity no longer speaks with authority. Social issues, like what? Like the social issue of gay marriage. See, as Christians, we believe that's a biblical issue. Uh, that's what we say. We say that we are opposed to gay marriage. We, we look at the social issue of abortion. We say we are scripturally opposed to that issue in our society of abortion. We would look at the issue of welfare and say we're opposed to the modern day system of welfare. We would look at the ideas that are floating around today of wealth redistribution or the redistribution of wealth, I should say. And we say that we're opposed to that. We look at so many things that are going on in society and we say we don't like that and we're opposed to that and we disagree with it. But you know what we are? We are one squawking voice in society saying, we don't agree. We don't agree. We don't agree. We don't like that. We're in opposition to this. We're opposed to this. And do you know why we're not taken serious by the masses? We don't speak with authority like the Christians once spoke 
with. Now, now listen, are, are there other reasons for such a, a decline? Of course there are. But, but to stay with the text, I, I want us to think about this. We are just one voice amongst many by way of positions and opinions and attitudes and convictions and doctrines and teachings. And so many times, here's what happens. When a professing Christian speaks, no one really hears a voice of authority anymore. And do you know why they don't hear a voice of authority anymore? Because most professing Christians who are opposed to everything and for almost nothing very seldom in their voice of opposition or in their voice of support or whatever it may be, very few Christians ever have the authority of the Word of God supporting what it is they say they are against. What exactly do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean this, and I know I've touched on this in times past, but but until we see this fully rectified in our church, I think it deserves to be touched on again. It's not uncommon to hear Christians say something like this, I'm opposed. Okay, great. Why are you opposed? Well, that's not the position of our church. How many of us realize that society doesn't care at all what the position of our church is? She's like, oh, your church opposes. Well, we better stop then because your church doesn't like it. What, all 50 of you are going to get mad? There's no authority. Why? Because when it comes to these social issues and, and we start to have these conversations or these arguments or these debates, whatever the nature of them may be, many times it's not a person speaking the Word of God in their effort to defend their position. They're trying to tell the other person, no, here's what my church believes. Nobody cares what our church believes. You hear people say things like this. Well, our pastor said in church the other day. Let's listen. Our pastor said in church the other day that this is wrong. Well, where did your pastor get that information? Where did he derive that position? What would make him think that this issue, whatever it may be, what made your pastor think it is wrong? Well, I really don't remember. I just remember he said he, he didn't like it and it was wrong. See, that's not a real authoritative statement. At that point, you sound like a nasal monotone professor just saying, well, my preacher said it was wrong. And you know what the person is saying? I don't care what your preacher said. I don't care what your preacher thinks. I don't care if your preacher thinks that this is wrong or anything else is wrong. See, we've given up our authority because we no longer know the Word of God like we ought to, and we're no longer able to speak the Word of God in the manner in which we should be able to as Christians. So we enter into these conversations, we enter into these debates sometimes or arguments, again, depending upon the the nature of the conversation. And our best line of defense is something like, well, that's not what my church believes, or my pastor said this the other day, or, or something like this. I'm thinking my Sunday school teacher addressed this. You're thinking? 
the Sunday school teacher addressed it. You don't even know for sure. And here is the all-time favorite quote of most Christians when dealing with an issue that they're not in favor of or that they are in favor of and there's an opposing view across the table from them. Here is the number one answer given by most Christians. I don't know exactly where it's at, but I know it's in there somewhere. (laughs) Think about that. I'm opposed to gay marriage. Well, why aren't you opposed to gay marriage? Well, the Bible says it's wrong. Really, where does it say it's wrong? Well, I I don't know exactly where it's at. I, I just, I know it's in there. Okay, well, you go read your Bible, and when you find out where it's at, then come back and holler at me. Well, we're going to have a problem there because I don't ever read my Bible. Well, okay, that's not exactly true. I don't not read my Bible. I just don't read it very often, or when I do, you know, it's a chapter or two at a time. So, I mean, this could take me a while. Just give me a few years, and I'll get back with you. Because I don't know where it's at. I just know it's in there somewhere. Following this? There's no authority. So, I mean, here, here's a crowd of people in our society, and, and they've got, a, a, I don't know how many other voices that are in their ear, that are in their mind, that are trying to influence their opinions and their positions and their thinking and their doctrine and their beliefs and, and all these different things. And, and, and then they come into contact with a Christian who the best they can do is somewhat recite what the preacher said or what a Sunday school teacher said or maybe the position of the church or they know it's in there somewhere, they just don't know where it's at. Why don't they take me serious anymore? Because we don't know God's Word. Understand, please, and I I know that this could be construed wrong, and I don't mean this to be presented wrong. I want to be a help as a pastor to you, the people. I I mean this. I want to be a help. But but it doesn't happen all the time. but, But it should not be that if you've been saved very long at all, that you have to text me or send me an email or call me with this question, Hey, preacher, where does it say such and such? Well, are we not a student of the Word of God? Come on. I'm a Christian. I'm supposedly following Christ. Why... Would I need to call a preacher friend every time I've got a question and say, Hey, would you help me? Tell me where that one passage is found. I know it's in there somewhere. Doesn't that sound a bit odd? So why does it make perfect sense for church members? And and I don't mean this again to be construed wrongly or poorly, but why would it then make sense for church members who have been saved for quite a while, who have the same resources in many regards that I have, why is it okay for them to say, yeah, I don't know, and rather than take the time to look it up and search it out and learn this on my own, I'd rather just get the quick, easy answer and just be able to regurgitate what the preacher said. 
Now, I don't expect us to have the entire Bible memorized. But how many times are we guilty of saying something like this? Well, you know I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, trust me, we know we're paraphrasing. Because sometimes I've paraphrased the Bible so poorly, people are going, what? And people have paraphrased the Bible so poorly to me. Well, you know, I mean, doesn't the Bible say something like something? I'm like, you mean, you, you mean this? Well, yeah, you knew what I meant. No authority. See, the only thing that will get the attention of those who are not already set in their Christian beliefs is if they can hear something that actually sounds different than what they are used to hearing with some kind of biblical authority attached to it. I'm just asking us this evening to consider this question. How many of us tonight would have to admit we really need a better grasp on what the Word of God is teaching? I'm not saying that you have to be able to answer the most obscure of questions. You know, why was it that in dealing with the law, that in Leviticus chapter 13, verse number 8, it said this, as if you're supposed to pull out Leviticus 13, 8 out of your mind and be able to give an exact answer. But what I'm asking us tonight is this. How many of us, if we were honest, we would have to admit that we need a better understanding of the Scripture? We ought to be better students of the Word of God. That we ought to be applying ourselves to know the Word of God better tomorrow and this coming week than we know it today. You and I give ourselves to know so many things, many times, which have no eternal value to them. This coming football season, in just a couple of weeks, you know what we'll begin doing? We will begin recalling the scores from the day before, or we'll begin recalling the scores from the week before. We'll begin to remember who's leading what division. We'll be able to remember. Now, no, this is their bye week. No, this is, this is the week that they've got so-and-so. And you know what we'll be able to do? We'll be able, with great precision, to give off the schedules of our favorite team. What about the Word of God? Well, I haven't studied it that much this week. Or we'll apply ourselves to understand this or to acquire more knowledge as it relates to this because I know that some of you could not care less about football than what you do. But you're going to read about this and you're going to watch some videos about this and you're going to increase in your knowledge about this. But when it comes to the Word of God, you'll say something like this. Man, it's just so complicated. It's just so hard. And that'll be the excuse that keeps us from learning more and learning more about the truth of God's Word. Here is a group of people. We don't know what their size was. We don't know what the amount was. But we know this, that when the people left, 
They were amazed at the doctrine of Christ. They were amazed at his teaching because for the first time, for many of them, they were hearing something completely different than they had ever heard before. They were hearing someone who knew something more than just the textbook answer. This was a man who knew what he was talking about, and he knew what he was talking about because of the authority of the Word of God. People that you go to work with this week do not need to hear your opinion and they don't need to hear any sermon I've ever preached resummarized and recapped and given to them. You know what your co-workers need? The Word of God. And your family and your friends and your neighbors and, and whomever it is that we come into contact this week you know what they don't need? They don't need more textbook, this is it, but don't get me off of this question and don't take me over here because I don't know that. What they need is someone who knows the Word of God and the only way that we'll know the Word of God is when we are a student of the Word of God. So I'm not asking us tonight, do we read the Bible? Because many of us would say, well, yeah, I read the Bible. I've discovered that I can read the Bible and not be a student of the Bible. And we would be far better off to take 10 years to get through the Bible while trying to be a student of it rather than to be able to blaze through it and say, I read it all this year, though I know nothing of what I read. Are we students of the Word of God? And when we speak, are we able to speak the Word of God or many times are we like the scribes and the Pharisees where we're just reciting what someone else has said. We're trying to quote someone else as though that gives more credibility to what we're saying. Do we many times speak empty words? It needs to be considered. So I'll stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to look at these final words of the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, there is no question that there are some people in this church who strive to be students of your word. They strive to, to know it and 